now we will have a um, reading, Acts 9, verses 1 through 20, the Common English Bible. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of Jesus, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. Jesus said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, here I am, Lord. Jesus said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But Jesus said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days, he was with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately, he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. The word of God for the people of God. Today's guest preacher is no stranger to First Presbyterian Church. The Reverend Joey Lee has been serving as the executive presbyter for the Presbytery of San Jose since 2008. <clears throat> Prior to that, he served as the Associate Executive for the Presbytery of San Jose. He was the organizing pastor for the South Bay Asian American Presbyterian New Church 
development in San Jose, California. His first call was as associate pastor for English ministries at the First Chinese Presbyterian Church of New York City. Joey earned his Master's of Divinity from San Francisco Theological Seminary and a BA from the University of California, Berkeley. From an early age, Joey and his family were active at the Presbyterian Church in Chinatown and the Donald Dina Cameron House Youth Program, where he began his faith journey. Joey, welcome. We are so glad to have you with us today. Thank you, Margaret. That's right, I'm a cow bear. I know where I am, so I'm watching all of you. Normally, guest preachers are invited to be in your pulpit. However, this time I invited myself. It has been my practice as the executive presbyter to preach on the first Sunday after a pastor leaves. So thanks for allowing me to invite myself here. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, come and dwell among us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I had the opportunity to preach recently on Sunday. It's, this rarely happens as because we all know that pastors know they really need to be on church on Easter. However, one of our churches was in between, and so they invited me to be there on Easter. In my preparation for that Easter Sunday, I reread parts of a book I had not picked up at, in some time. The book is entitled The Last Week, and it's written by Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan two people, in my opinion, who are giants in New Testament studies. And as the title suggests, the authors dig into the last week of the life of Jesus, from Palm Sunday until Easter Sunday. And they shared something that I think might be helpful in our thinking about the passage in Acts that was just read. Now, in thinking about the resurrection, the authors pose this question. What kind of narrative is this? Is it history or parable? Stories that are history have the purpose of reporting observable, observable events that could be witnessed by anyone who was there. Stories that are parable well, our stories. The model, of course, are the parables of Jesus. Now, most Christians agree that the meaning of Jesus' parables are not dependent upon whether they are historically factual. Was there a Samaritan who found a man that was robbed? Was there a father waiting for their lost son to come back? The insight is that parables can be true, truthful, truth-filled, 
independent of their factuality. Borg and Crossan point out one should not think of history as true and parables as fiction. Since the enlightenment of the 17th century, Western culture began to identify truth with factuality. The dilemma is that both biblical literalists and people who reject the Bible completely do this very thing. The literalists insist that the truth of the Bible depends on the literal factuality of what is recorded. And those who reject the Bible say, it cannot be literally and factually true, and therefore none of it is true. And the further dilemma for us in our times, we can't even agree on what a fact is. Truth itself seems to be in short supply these days. Now, why am I droning on and on about this? Because how do we understand what happened to Paul on that road to Damascus? Acts 9 that we read, the passage is a long one, by the way, this is the lectionary reading for this Sunday, so it's not really my choice, but it is a familiar story, and I, I like familiar stories. And this story, as told by the author of the Gospel according to Luke and the Acts of the Apostles, is popularly known as the conversion of Paul. We are first introduced to him as Saul, a chapter earlier. The scene is the killing or stoning of Stephen. Chapter 8, verse 1 begins, and Saul approved of their killing him. Well, that's certainly an ominous introduction. And then in verse 3, but Saul was ravaging the church by entering house after house, dragging off both men and women, and he committed them to prison. This sounds like a scary guy. Don't invite him to coffee hour, please. <laughs> we don't see him for the rest of chapter 8, and he reappears in our passage. He hasn't changed. But here we may get the first indication that the author might be using metaphorical language. The common English Bible translation that we read said, Paul was spewing out murderous threats. The New Revised Standard Version says, Paul, Saul, was breathing threats and murder. That is parabolic, not factual language. Saul then has an experience of light and voice that knocks him to the ground. It is an encounter with Christ that ultimately is life-changing. 
He cannot see and needs to be helped to his destination. Those with him don't comprehend other than something miraculous happened. Saul makes it to Damascus where he is blind and does not eat or drink for three days. A disciple named Ananias has a vision where he is instructed to go see Saul. Ananias is well aware of Saul's reputation and says, you're kidding me. Then comes the kicker. The Lord replied, go, this man is the agent I have chosen to carry my name before Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. This guy? This is the guy you've chosen? Really? But Ananias goes. He places his hands on Saul, calls him brother Saul, and says, Jesus, who appeared to you on the way as you were coming here, he sent me so that you could see again and be filled by the Holy Spirit. And instantly he could see again. He got up, was baptized, and had something to eat. While the telling of this story by the author of Acts seems factual with many details, I cannot help but hear metaphorical and parabolic language, some that we might even use today. Haven't you heard things like, I was blinded by the light? I was struck by what you said. You could have knocked me over with a feather. It felt like a gut punch. I had a vision of what I need to do. I heard it like it was my own voice. I was blind, but now I see. They were like an angel sent from heaven. Okay. I don't know, maybe you don't use phrases like these. They do sound more like uh, lyrics from a song sometimes. But again, if we fixate on the factuality of this event, we may miss the crucial point of the truthfulness of the story. It's not what did Saul see. It's not what did he hear. I think the true point of the story is can people change? Can someone who breathes threats and murder change and become an agent chosen by God? If I'm honest, I find this harder to believe than the story of someone who's blinded by light. Again, this story is commonly known as the conversion of Saul. It certainly is a story of change. 
And I have long said that the Bible can be seen as a series of stories about change. The creation is a story of change from chaos to order. The exodus is a story of change of a people from bondage to liberation. The prophets are a story of change urging the people towards more faithfulness. The resurrection may be the ultimate story of change from death to life. And this is a story of change from persecuting Christians to becoming one. To show this, Saul even changes his name to Paul. Helpful thinking on this comes from another New Testament scholar, Christer Stendhal, former dean of Harvard Divinity School. In a series of lectures at Austin Presbyterian Theological Seminary that were the basis for his book, Paul Among Jews and Gentiles, Stendhal makes the case that Paul did not so much have a conversion as he had a new sense of call. Drawing on these accounts in Acts and from Paul's own accounts in his letters, Stendhal suggests that Paul believes he is still serving the one and the same God, but receives a new and special calling in God's service, that he is asked as a Jew to bring God's message to the Gentiles. The emphasis is on the assignment, not the conversion. So rather than being converted, Paul was called to a new and specific task. We use that term call a lot in the church. Those persons who are inquirers or candidates for ministry are often asked about their sense of call. We don't hire pastors, we say we call them. Their compensation is referred to as terms of call. And even beyond the church, people talk about their work as a calling. The very word vocation comes from the Latin vocare, to call. Can you change your calling? I don't mean your job. Of course you can change your job, but can your calling change? I think so. Certainly this is Stendhal's point about Paul. Many of us know this is true. Some of us have firsthand experience about when you felt your calling changed. And if one can be called, then it stands to reason one can be uncalled or feel cease to be called. It, it may be an inner sense of change or it may be external reasons and experiences that create this change in call. 
I have little doubt that Bruce spent much time thinking about his sense of call to this congregation, both in coming and in leaving. And while in no ways divine in nature, his struggles with COVID, which knocked him down, added to his understanding and ability to respond to his call. Some of you remember that this is not the first time I have been with you after a pastor has left. It was almost exactly five years ago, March of 2018, that I preached here after Rob left. I'm sure you remember me telling you this. <laughs> you are about to enter a season of change. I've heard it said that change is inevitable, but growth is optional. Will it be a period of uncertainty? Yes. Will there be anxiety? Well, it depends, but yes. Will you be without leadership? No. Will you be alone navigating uncharted waters? No. Will you crash and die against the rocks? People, please. <laughs> Bruce has left, but Jane is here. And we're here too. The Presbytery of San Jose and the Committee on Ministry stand ready to assist, encourage, and support in whatever way we can. We have already worked to secure pastoral leadership in the transition. We will continue to walk with you as you begin the search process. I have to comment on how different it feels this time than five years ago. I sensed genuine affection and appreciation for Bruce's ministry. Several had mentioned to me how impactful his presence was personally to them. In the Broadway musical, Hamilton, halfway through the second act is the song, One Last Time. In it, George Washington calls to Alexander Hamilton I want to give you a word of warning, Washington says. Hamilton responds, Sir, I don't know what you heard, but Thomas Jefferson started it. <laughs> Washington informs Hamilton he is not running for a third term. He wants Hamilton to draft a speech, a final address. Washington sings, one last time, and we'll teach them how to say goodbye. And if we get this right, we're going to teach them how to say goodbye. And if I say goodbye, the nation learns to move on, and it outlives me 
when I'm gone. In many ways, you've learned and taught each other how to say goodbye, how to move on. And the church outlives the pastor when they are gone. That is both fact and parable. Amen.